More than a third of adults say that sleepiness interferes with their function at some time in any given month. Despite this, excessive daytime sleepiness is under-recognized and under-treated, yet the consequences can even be fatal. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is psychiatrist Dr. Chris Bojrab. In addition to his outpatient practice and administrative responsibilities as president of Indiana Health Group, he has served as the medical director for the Dr. Robert and Lillian Custer Center, an internationally known center specializing in the treatment of gambling addictions. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be here with you today. So, Chris, what are some of the physiologic consequences of hypersomnia? There are a number of physiologic consequences of hypersomnia that go far beyond just simply the feeling of tiredness or fatigue the following day. I heard a comedian once say that the wages of sin are death, but once they take out taxes, it's just that tired, hungover feeling the next day. <laughs> uh, but there's, there's really a lot more to it than that. We're learning a lot more about sleep and about the functions of sleep, and while it's still a bit of a mystery, we know significantly more than what we knew 10 years ago. A lot of our interest is focused on what we call slow-wave sleep, stage 3, stage 4 sleep, and all sleep is not equal. This stage of sleep that we refer to as slow-wave sleep serves a number of critically important functions. During this period of slow-wave sleep, which for most of us is perhaps a couple of hours out of the night, we produce probably 80 to 90% of the growth hormone that we produce as adults. There's also a disproportionate amount of conversion of T4 to T3 during this period of sleep. There's a disproportionate amount of androgen synthesis that occurs during slow-wave sleep. There are specific things that go on in our brain that help with certain aspects of memory during slow-wave sleep. The HPA axis does important work during slow-wave sleep. So when we disrupt this phase of sleep or when we're not reaching this stage of sleep, we're really putting ourselves at risk for missing out on those biologic functions. So if you think about what somebody may look like, who is deprived of sleep or who specifically is deprived of slow-wave sleep, what do you think a patient might look like who doesn't get enough growth hormone, doesn't convert enough T4 to T3, doesn't build enough androgens, doesn't get good relaxations of ligaments and tendons? You know, that patient might look like somebody who is tired, who's weak, who has trouble repairing muscle tissue after an injury, who has trouble building lean body mass, people who have these sort of subsyndromal endocrine problems. Uh, it sounds a lot like the patients that we see with chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia. And in fact, loss of sleep, especially loss of slow-wave sleep, has been frequently associated with patients with syndromes like fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue. So it's more than just simply about being tired the next day. Missing out on those certain critical aspects of sleep put us at increased risk for these things that we've been talking about. It also puts us at increased risk for disorders of metabolism. We may be more vulnerable to diabetes. We may be more vulnerable to infection because we're not engaging in some of the processes that keep those immune cells functioning well. We're not engaging in the processes that keep our endocrine system functioning well. So it goes far beyond simply that tired feeling the next day. So many complicated body systems, obviously, that have downstream effects as well are affected, it sounds like. Absolutely. Now, how about some of the more behavioral kinds of consequences? What do you see? You know, we really underestimate the risks that people are at when they suffer from excessive daytime sleepiness. People that have excessive daytime sleepiness, whether that comes from untreated or partially treated sleep apnea or shift work sleep disorder, conditions like narcolepsy, problems with insomnia, 
take your pick, but these patients who manifest with excessive daytime sleepiness are at significantly increased risk for accidents and injury. There's about a four to four and a half fold increased risk in being involved in a serious motor vehicle accident when people are sleep deprived. Mass General a few years ago did a study where they were looking at their house staff and they looked at the frequency with which their residents had been involved in motor vehicle accidents and they were significantly more likely to be involved in a motor vehicle accident when they were post-call as opposed to other nights. People have actually done studies in driving simulators trying to ascertain the degree to which sleep impairment or sleep loss impairs our ability to drive safely. In one such study, they looked at patients that were allowed to drink alcohol up to the point where they were legally intoxicated, where they had a blood alcohol level of 0.08, and then they took people and sleep-deprived them and put them back in driving simulators sequentially to see how long does somebody have to be awake before they're as impaired as when they're legally intoxicated. And the answer turns out to be 17 hours. So once you've been awake for 17 hours, you were as impaired in your driving skills as somebody who's legally intoxicated. And how many times, for those of us that are working longer hours, longer shifts in the hospital or wherever, how many times have we been up for 17 hours and gotten behind the wheel? Uh, so again, people are frequently surprised to learn the extent to which this can impair our psychomotor performance. Again, as I mentioned, I get a number of referrals of patients coming into the office where they think they've got attention deficit disorder. And on testing, they really do demonstrate significant loss of concentration and attention that does you know, reach the same level as that which we see with significant ADD. So attention impairment, cognitive impairment, processing problems, memory problems, these are all some of the behavioral consequences of excessive daytime sleepiness. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Chris Bojrab. We are discussing the consequences of excessive daytime sleepiness. Now, Chris, I wonder how much work has been done looking at this in children and teenagers. It seems like especially teenagers don't sleep, at least the ones in my house, don't sleep nearly as much as I think they should anyway. Is there any data what happens with them? There is, Leslie. I think there's a wealth of data out there looking at the degree to which not getting a good night's sleep impairs school performance. Children and adolescents really do have a slightly different circadian pattern than adults do. Uh, In fact, in recognition of this difference, some school systems across the country have actually made adjustments to their school day, starting their school day a little bit later and running their school day a little bit later as a means of trying to capitalize on their natural circadian rhythm. So rather than having students starting classes at 8 o'clock in the morning, some school systems have change their school day to where they start at 9 o'clock, or in some cases I've heard even as late as 10 o'clock, then extending the school day till 4 or 5. Uh, And a number of these school systems have reported increased performance on standardized testing. So, you know, it's early in this data, but I think that it's worthwhile looking at that. Certainly it just makes good face value sense that what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And if we're seeing these kind of cognitive difficulties in adults, that certainly our children in primary or secondary or tertiary educational settings could be at risk for the same kind of cognitive impairment that we see in adults. There's more data in adults, but there is some data in younger people as well. One of the things that amazes me with my kids, and I wonder if this happens in adults too, is when they're sleepy, they deny they're sleepy. Oh, I'm not sleepy. No, I don't want to go to bed. I couldn't possibly be sleepy. And and you know they are. So is there a link between sleepiness and lack of awareness or judgment, um, not only in kids, but in adults? 
it certainly has been my perception that, that that is the case. I'm not aware of many studies offhand that have demonstrated that, but I can share with you a, a personal story. I was actually diagnosed with sleep apnea probably six or seven years ago, and my wife said, you know, you snore like a lumberjack and you have prolonged times that you're not breathing at night and you wake up gasping. You need to go get a sleep study or you're going to die. And I felt good. My energy is always good. I'm sort of a short sleeper. I never have required a lot of sleep, and I rarely ever take a nap. So I didn't really have the behavioral manifestations of sleep apnea, but I said, well, I certainly you know, would take her to her word. And I went in for my sleep study. I got a call from the pulmonologist who asked me if I was still working. My sleep apnea was so bad, he said a lot of people with sleep apnea that bad were on disability. Wow. So certainly, even those of us who consider ourselves to be well-informed and highly educated are pretty crummy judges of the quality and quantity of sleep that we receive at times. Yeah, one of my favorite stories actually comes from, I think, somebody you know, uh, Dr. Mary O'Malley, who's a sleep doc in Connecticut. And she tells a story about how she was referred a patient who came in because he was falling asleep while driving. And she had him do the Epworth sleepiness scale, which is a scale, real simple, a question, as you know, measurement of how sleepy you are. So he's out there doing this Epworth sleepiness scale and basically marks down nothing, that he never falls asleep in situations that are inappropriate. So Dr. O'Malley takes a look at the patient and his score, and she says, gosh, you know, you were referred to me because you were falling asleep in your car, but your form here says you never fall asleep. The exact question is, do you ever fall asleep in a car while stopped at a red light or while stopped for a few minutes in traffic? And he says, well, yeah, Dr. O'Malley, I don't fall asleep while I'm stopped in the car. I fall asleep when I'm driving the car. (laughs) So it spoke uh, highly to me about judgment being impaired in, in some of these patients, that they really truly don't think they're impaired. And like the study you mentioned, where after 17 hours of being awake, wake that you're as impaired behind the wheel as if you're drunk. I mean, all of us have gotten in a car where hopefully uh, most of us don't get behind a wheel when we are drunk. So very interesting. Exactly. Now, I wonder, is there any data in terms of work productivity or sleepy people? I mean, you would assume they're less effective at the job, but do we know that? Yes, we do. There's two issues. The issue of absenteeism those patients that suffer from excessive daytime sleepiness and as a result just simply can't make it into work or feel unable to make it into work. And that certainly is something that is well recognized in the literature and has been one of the areas of focus for a number of our colleagues in occupational medicine for a long period of time. But uh, there's also this emerging notion of what's called presenteeism, and that is reduction in work productivity, work quality, even when people are there. It's interesting. If you look at data from the National Transportation and Safety Bureau, you'll see that the most frequent time for motor vehicle accidents to occur is during that 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. time period. We also know from tracking uh, data from self-reported information from hospital systems that that third shift is the most frequent time for medication errors, dispensing errors, or some type of errors in providing care to patients are made. So there are some significant impacts in terms of our ability to function adequately in the workplace setting predicated upon this excessive daytime somnolence. Makes sense. And again, I you know, I would encourage physicians just to think back of what it was like in the bad old days when we were interns and residents and how awful it was the next day after being on call and, and how you felt. And it certainly my experience was um, we had several car accidents in our class for people driving home when they really shouldn't have been. And even in medical school, one death of one of the residents died in the hot tub from falling asleep. Yeah, it really is shocking. I remember one time when I was uh, moonlighting in medical school, 
and I got called up to the floor about 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning by one of the nurses, and they were calling me about a patient that was terribly tachycardic, and I asked how tachycardic were they, and they said they were rate was over 200 per minute, and I asked if they had any idea why the person was so tachycardic, to which the nurse replied, I inadvertently gave him a Ventolin treatment IV. <gasps> oh, my. You know, she had been just recently on nights, and again, just an error that, you know, arguably she may not have made during the day if she was working her normal shift and was better rested, but just a slip like that and doing something that seems so egregious. But that kind of thing happens all the time. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Chris Bojrab. We have been discussing the consequences of excessive daytime sleepiness. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening. You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals.